welcome. My name is Gina Timberman, and you are listening to Timber People, a podcast about people who, like timber, are strong, build and create, who gather us together like fuel that feeds fire. People who support structures of our community that uplift and protect. I'm so happy to welcome today my dear friend, my Choctaw sister, Kristen Gentry. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here and spend time with you. Uh, it's great to see you as always. And I know you have a lot going on. I want to explore the adventures you've been on, but also um, you have a new position. You are the Director of Community Engagement and Outreach for Native Realities. I'm excited to hear about your work that you're doing. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's a new position. I've been there for um, a little over a month now, and I've already been traveling the country doing some work for it. Tell us about Native Realities. Okay, so Native Realities and um, ATCG Media, they're both companies owned by Dr. Lee Francis at Laguna Pueblo. And then, um, so one side of it is a Native publishing company, so all like doing an entire process of finding writers, Native illustrators to match those tribes, and then actually publishing the content, um, all of it, or when people come and they want their book published and they may need help finding um, an illustrator that will be culturally sensitive and understands their own tribal culture. I mean, that's just such a unique thing to be able to have both sides, have the artists, have the illustrators, the writers, and then the entity that's actually publishing the book be Native as well. That's just so unheard of. Right. Yeah. So that side of it. And then we do um, we do events around the country, community events. Uh, we do a lot of focus on pop culture, comic books, uh, all kinds of um, indigenous futurisms. Um, think of like a STEM-based projects, all of that. And we try to hit different communities that are... Um, really working to uh, involve their communities. And so sometimes they need a little help doing that. Sometimes they've never done it before. They have seen our success. Um, we're, we'll be in our seventh year next year for what started as Indigenous Comic-Con. And then it gradually morphed because it became so much more than just like comics, um, so much more in pop culture. So then we have film and movies and musicians, video games, um, all kinds of things, like anything you can think of, like for pop culture, um, there's typically indigenous people doing it and we want to exemplify that. So that just kind of has swept the nation. And that event started in Albuquerque. It's been in Colorado. It's been, um, all the way in Australia. And then this past, uh, session, it came to Oklahoma city and it'll actually return to Oklahoma city one more time next year. Well, I wanted to start out with the, um, your role with Native Realities and that aspect of community engagement and the outreach, because it's so perfect for who you are as, you know, as a person, culturally, but also professionally. Um, you're an artist, you're a writer, you have worked with diverse cultures, um, diverse tribal cultures, and you're a real relationship person to the Native community. And I really um, have appreciated and enjoyed knowing you personally, but working with you professionally as well with your work with First Americans Museum. So I can't think of, um, you know, I just I'm really excited about the work you're doing and, and you're the you're a great fit for that. Thank you. I've always felt like I do. I love people so much and I love creating things. I've always felt I can kind of like mold myself into any job I've ever had. 
Um, so my position at First Americans Museum was like great as well. I got to do a lot of that same thing, community building and doing events there. When this job uh, became available, it was almost just like reading my own resume. Like what they were looking for was like, that's like my whole life. So figuring out ways um, for people that maybe have never been involved in their culture, um, helping bring them in. I'm very against gatekeeping. Um, there's so many different reasons why we come to where we are without knowing our culture. I mean, Indian removal, boarding schools, uh, language disparities, poverty, um, just everything, you know, complete annihilation of our cultures. Um that put a lot of people that are like living today without having been able to be raised in their culture. Um, and so they're looking for that. Um, and a lot of times that comes, you know, maybe by college age, 20s, 30s, 40s, people are wanting to reconnect and they don't know where to start. Um, so that's where Native Realities is so great because we're taking those pop culture things that everybody already does. Um, and then they realize, oh, there's Native illustrators on the cover of Marvel, um, things like Reservation Dogs, Sterling Harjo as just, I mean, Sterling's just changed the whole world for everyone. I love now. it. Yeah. So with all of that there, that's kind of the whole like idea of Native Realities to be able to not just stay in one place and be stagnant. You know, we're ever changing, ever evolving. We are contemporary people and we want to show the world that. So that's kind of what we get to do with Native Realities. And me personally, since I get to kind of direct that, I get to go into so many different tribal communities. I get to bring them all together. I get to take all those different tribal communities across the country, different countries, Canada, because um, there's indigenous people everywhere. <laughs> Um, and always have that education element. Um, I started as a as a teacher. I went to school to become an art teacher. Um, and I still get to teach in that manner, whether I'm teaching through art, whether I'm teaching through these events. Um, and like non-Native people are often just kind of surprised. Um, they didn't realize maybe somebody was a Native actor per se or maybe a musician. Um, so it's nice to see people learning those things and embracing it and then supporting it. And figure it's a nice like way where people are maybe non-native people are kind of like they'll stand on the outsides or they may never go to a powwow. Right. It's it's a little confusing for them, but they understand like a Comic-Con or yeah, or they understand let's go to a movie premiere. Right. And these people live right here in Oklahoma with us. So they... um it just kind of breaks down a lot of those barriers and then everybody gets to learn a little bit more about our culture. Right. You know, food, film, festival, museums, artwork, that engagement, those become those safe spaces, the middle ground where we welcome people. And um, I'm really, uh, I just really appreciate that because there are, you're right, there are so many Native people that aren't connected to culture. And so these experiences may be that first window through which they learn about um, who their people are. Yeah. And you, you just never know what's going to be that moment for someone. Um, and I get to do really fun events. They're not just like boring conventions or right. you're sitting in like these long lectures. It's hands on activity. It's um, revitalizing ways we've always done things um, this past um, um, IPX, which is our Indigenous Comic Con, which is now Indigenous Pop X. Uh, we got to do a glow in the dark, glow, sick ball. Um, I love playing That's sick so cool. ball. Yeah, it was so 
fun. And there was all these really cool challenges on all aspects, um, even to just make the poles um, that you would score with uh, the goalposts in a stickball game. If you think of like lacrosse and having like two points at either end. So like, how do you make that line up? Um, so there was all this type of like engineering, getting power to it, um, and like lighting an entire field with like black lights and, um, keeping it safe still because right, right. <laughs> stickball can be pretty dangerous <laughs> in the daytime. Um, we kind of limited it to, um, you know, 18 and over for that one. Typically stickball would involve all ages, right. anybody. Um, so we kind of limited a little bit just for safety. And we had IHS nurses come over. We had a whole nursing <laughs> station. Um, so luckily, nobody like nobody got injured or anything. And it was so much fun. We had glow sticks. And it was just um, a really fun way uh, to, like, reintroduce people to maybe stickball or introduce to them for the very first time. And then they now, like, they, everybody, like, everyone wanted to learn how to play. They wanted to bring their kids back at First Americans Museum because they have, like, camps for kids to learn how to play. Yeah, with um, uh, with their coach, Ace Greenwood. and uh, that was so great. Yeah, so it was really cool. Like, he had to figure out some other things, too. And, like, we had to bring in people to help us figure out how to make <laughs> the poles light up. Um, and then how do we make our sticks light up? And the ball, the ball was probably one of the hardest things to keep glowing. So those kind of, like... Little things that you would never really think about. Um, it's just kind of like these fun ideas. Wouldn't it be cool if we did that? Yeah. And then I get to do that. Like, yeah. that is like native realities, when you think of that, it's like what realities, virtual realities, augmented realities, um, like coming out of like such a hard time for so much loss with COVID and the pandemic. Um, this year's um, IPX was just such a great like a reunion, bringing all those people that have been spending all this time together. Um, and we're such creative people. We create things, we make clothing. Um, so the cosplay aspect um, was really great. We got to use that as a huge teaching opportunity to how you don't appropriate our culture. But here's some great ways that you can find characters, indigenous characters without doing um, those like inappropriate things. And um, it was just amazing because of all of our like sewing skills, people's costumes were just like unbelievable <laughs> to me. I know. I love also seeing the incorporation of beadwork and other, you know, cre um, really bringing together traditional ideas and traditional forms and, and the expression in very progressive and contemporary and unsuspecting ways. And you're really creating magic. You know, magic is when people are learning something and having fun. Mm -hmm. And that's just really cool. It is. Um, and I think like FAM, First American Museum, was is still like the best place for it in Oklahoma just because of all of the space it has, the facility and, you know, the mission of FAM itself. Um, we didn't talk about it, but I worked at FAM before I worked for Native Reality. So that was really cool. I knew the facility really well and it was it was a lot easier, I guess, for someone to plan an event there that had already worked in the facility and um, just to have that support there. And 
uh, just see um, what fam could even do, right. like how much we could, like we literally used every single room, every, the full museum like, to the full extent. Um, so all the architects that worked on it should be happy. Everything, <laughs> everything was used. <laughs> that is so great. And I know they have really great camps. I know your daughter, Jewel, has participated in the camps. And uh, what will Native Realities be offering um, this summer for kids and Okay. So we have a program uh, called Comics for Kids. Um, Dr. Francis started that and he is always working for us to get comics in like the hands of kids all across the country. We get a lot of great um, sponsorship with Americans for Indian Opportunity, which is LaDonna Harris. She's from here in Oklahoma, even though they're stationed out in Albuquerque. Um, for IPX, their company donated as many school kids that wanted to come throughout the state. Um, if their schools would bring them in, then AIO would pay for those kids. We had a whole education day just for that. So for this summer, I've got to do some smaller outreach. Um, the Jacobson House in Norman, Oklahoma reopened. They invited uh, my company out. And so I got to do the tabling there and I got to sell Roy Boney's book. And so Roy's from here in Oklahoma. He's from Tahlequah. He's a Cherokee artist. And he's one of the artists that he's one of those Marvel cover artists. Like he's out there making the comic books, making those covers. Um, and he just launched and like his first book ever. He's such a prolific artist in that he just makes so much art every single day. And uh, not everybody can always <laughs> have access to that. So Dr. Francis and Roy work together so that everybody has a chance <laughs> to own um, one of Roy's pieces and Roy's one of my own friends, and I knew him years before he created this book. So it's really special when I get to celebrate a writer and an artist um, that's also my friend that is here in Oklahoma that supports our state, that, you know, just brings attention here to Oklahoma, like what we're doing. And um, so that was one of the things we did the, um, at the Jacobson House. And then I had there, I was able to, like, give away things for kids, give them comic books. We always have... Um, so many sponsors that want to do the same thing like Scholastic has sponsored us and so we just have great um, young adult books comics for all ages um, graphic novels and my daughter even read her very first graphic novel because of my new job it was um, about a D about D&D &D. <laughs> and then one of the characters was Navajo and so uh, we worked uh, my boss Dr. Francis worked as like the cultural consultant to make sure that character was culturally correct yeah, that's important. It is. Yeah. So I kind of saw from working at First American Museum how hard it is to source books, not only written by a Native author, but a Native illustrator. And then that third thing that it's culturally correct. Um, that, that's, a, that's a hard trifecta to find. Um, so I'm kind of excited that I get to help bring more of that. And that'll just go into the school systems. We'll right. be able to create new curriculum. It'll help teachers. It'll make it easier for teachers. Mm -hmm. Um, cause it'll be done for them and we don't have to worry about if they're teaching something incorrectly and, and then hopefully the kids like it too. Yeah. That's a sense of that, um, that na native, um, artistic sovereignty, you know, of creating, uh, creating that from, you know, native creativity and artists and sources. And it's really cool. You know, we've known for some time that, there's a renaissance, a cultural renaissance happening in Oklahoma, of course, um, with the opening of you know, museums and cultural centers and First Americans Museum and all of the activity and art, artwork that's happening around our state, festivals and gatherings. 
It's also, you know, for thousands of years, there have been networks, you know, on this continent where, you know, native peoples have been exchanging and learning and sharing and producing art and um, really learning from one another. And that's still happening today across Indian countries. So that renaissance is rich. It is um, it is flowing. It's fluid. And it's really cool to see. I know that you have been networking in that world um, with other organizations and artists and educators and others. I know you were just out from, I know you've been out to the Northwest, to the Southeast. And can you talk a little bit about some of those connections that where Oklahoma is central to this? There's so much happening where that these uh, networks of cultural and artistic exchange are happening all around the country. Yeah. So I literally just got back very late Monday night, early Tuesday morning from Tacoma, Washington. I'd never even been to Washington at all. And so I went right into a community space. Um, So Lisa Frashanti at Alma Tacoma, um, it's like a native, it's not just an art center and it's, it's smaller than fam. It's not like a museum trying to describe. It's like a community space. They have restaurants, they do um, concerts there. Um, like that, we had Superman perform as part of it. I think coming in a couple of weeks, they have uh, Snotty Nose Res Kids. Yeah. So it's just a really cool place. You can do podcasts there. So they have education. So they, when Lisa and Dr. Francis had met, I don't, I think they met at an ACE convention. I, don't quote me on that one. But um, they had a conversation about she loved IPX and she wanted to bring that to Tacoma, to her community there. Um, and so we kind of started with a smaller event first. So it was kind of like a smaller version of it in the sense um, there wasn't a whole lot of cosplay comic book to it. Um, but we really like like we dove into indigenous futurisms. And what does that mean for like all these different genres? Like what does that mean for indigenous um, futurisms and fashion? Um, so we invited Copper Canoe Woman and Kelly Holmes to come out and do a panel. And then that panel kind of grew. There was another local designer there. Um, Mika is her company. And then Lisa herself had used to work in native fashion industry as well. So we had this like stacked panel. People like ha- like Vina Brown, that's Copper Canoe Woman. Her work is amazing to me personally as an artist. Like I've always wanted to meet her. One of the most kind artists I've ever met. And she's also like very anti-gatekeeping. She's always been so inclusive with me um, because we both make jewelry in the same manner. We both have laser cut acrylic and abalone. Um, And so going up in the Northwest and all of these like canoe families and fishing, um, we got to open that whole festival. Like we had the Puyallup language uh, department came out. They were teaching um, Lachute Seed, which is the language for the Puyallup tribe. Um, they're one of the federally recognized tribes. Um, and it was a tribe I'd never worked with before. Right. So I'm in a place that is definitely not Southeastern, definitely not Plains. <laughs> it's, you know, Coast Salish, Pacific Northwest, totally different language system, totally different cultural values. So I was being just as like culturally like aware as I could because I didn't want to like do anything, you know, that's not, you know, cooth for their culture and know that I'm, you know, I'm a guest there. And, and they just welcomed me immediately. And it was like, it was like being at home and it was aunties are the same everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. And then I realized all the parallels between the Northwest tribes and then the Southeast tribes, like pre-contact, we would have been very similar traveling the waterways, fishing, singing, doing. So I was like, oh, it's not really like that different for me personally. 
for Plains tribes, it might be a little different that didn't use those waterways. But so that was really cool. So other things we thought about, um, like we had Superman there, like like uh, that contemporary way for powwow dance. I mean, and he does rap and he intertwines the two. So that's really beautiful. We had um, Connor Alexander. He's Cherokee, but he lives up there. And then Sade. Uh, they uh, were both at IPX, but they created, uh, well, Connor created the game. It's called Coyote and Crow, and it's a tabletop role-playing game. So if you think of like D&D, but the map for it, if you think if you've ever seen a map of maybe like Cahokia Mounds. So it's like a mound builder culture game, um, and people have been going like crazy for it across the country. You can buy that book. Um, They sell the game at First Americans Museum in the store. Um, You can buy it directly online at Native Realities. Um, and then he also just came out with a brand new dice game, um, which is akin to like, uh, he makes different things, but he said like, if you ever played Yahtzee, he's like, you could catch onto this game really well. So it's cool to see contemporary games, uh, what people are doing in that augmented reality, how they do those things. Um, we had a whole panel on decolonizing higher education. Um, often when you go to college, you're a lot of times you may be the only native person in your entire class. And I know for me personally, I didn't have a a female professor of color until I was in graduate school. Like I didn't have any in undergrad. I had white male. (laughs) Yeah. um, Not anything against them or anything, but that was just, that's just the academia. Yeah. There's not a lot of native people with PhDs to be able to go into those institutions and then like create those learning styles and, um, it means a lot to be sitting in class and see someone that looks like you. Of course. And it was just so like shocking to me. Um, it was Dr. Avila at the University of New Mexico. And I was just like, wow. And it was when I realized I was like, I've never had a woman of color as a professor. So Dr. Robin Minthorn, um, she's from here in Oklahoma in the Lawton area, but she's been teaching at UW Tacoma. So I invited her over. I loved seeing that. I love <laughs> she's awesome. She is. She's so sweet. And so, um, and, you know, and she kind of started that journey too. Like I know she struggled at the beginning of her college. That's like a part of her story that she'll tell you about. And then now today, you know, she stands with a PhD and that's just like amazing. <laughs> and so she's always working with departments to help all of the professors be better professors for their indigenous students, wherever she's teaching out in the country. I think that's amazing. And, um, and I know, uh, OU is going to be really happy. They're bringing her back. She's moving back. She's announced it. So I could say it now. Um, so it'll be really cool to see even here in Oklahoma, our universities get even better, like their faculty even better. Um, I'm an OSU grad, but I'm in full support. I love it. Go Pokes. I'm an OSU girl as well. Yeah. <laughs> So that was really cool to hear that lecture. I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. Oh, um, Indigenous entrepreneurship. Uh, what is entrepreneurship? How is that different when you're an Indigenous business? Right. Um, how do you get funding? We don't always have the access to the loans um, that other people do. We, have na- we may not have that. Like uh, our parents may have not spent a lot of time uh, working on building credit right. scores per se. Right. Like how do you do that? And so J.D. Elquist, he came and that's what he does professionally. And he came in and did a whole workshop on it. He did a panel and um, I even learned stuff. You know, I mean, as an artist, you're you're doing a business right. as well. So like, how do you find those things and how do you find the resources you need? And like, how do you do all of that? So that was really cool to see. So different types of futurisms. What are people doing today? Um, we had an, an artist market. Oh, we had live painters. All of our live painters were native. Our DJs for the whole event were native. 
Uh, we had DJ Libby. We had DJ Ruckus. You can look both of those up on Instagram. Um, so DJ Ruckus came from Oklahoma. So if you look up The Art of Tom Ferris, that's him. But he also DJ. So a lot of people don't know that. Um, and so he was live painting there on skate decks. There yes, was, I love it. There's an indigenous skate jam event coming later on at Alma. And so that organization came and tabled and then they saw he was live painting and they liked his pop art. So they gave him a deck to paint. So that was cool. You can go on Native Realities. You can look on our uh, social media pages and see all those. So that's what we did up in Tacoma. We have another event coming in the future that we're looking over on the east side in Philadelphia. Um, it's not all the way solid. All the plans aren't there yet, but that's where we're looking to go and kind of do a more ACES STEM based. Um, I think we're going to call that one indigenous worlds of wonder. So I wow. Very cool. I love the acronym. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And work with some community people that I met when I was in Santa Fe called we are the seeds with Tylene. So hopefully we'll get to work with them and, you know, we'll get that going. But our next event is a really large event. It'll be in April, the 10th to the 12th. And it'll be IPX coming back. Uh, we already got confirmed. Um, James Pepper Henry, the CEO director at FAM, and then Tom Ferris, the FAM store manager, they have already approved us to be back there. Um, and so I've already been like working with, uh, you know, different actors we had. We're trying to get new actors. We have a huge request. I'm going to work my, I'm going to work so hard to try to get as many reservation dog actors as I can. Unfortunately, they had just started filming for the 2023 one. And so we couldn't get a whole lot of them to come over for that. Um, Like I've already talked with Kara Jade Myers. Uh, She, she was at our IPX we just had, and she's, she wants to come back next year. And I know Killers of the Flower Moon, and when that launches in, um, the U.S. here, I know it's going to be huge. So if you look at ATCG Media, our um, blog page, we're compiling like all the launches, like where can you see this movie across the country for communities? Um, so if you're listening to this and you are, you know, planning or organizing one in your community, let us know. We're going to make a list so everybody knows where they can go see it first and be involved. Cause it's really fun. I like going to premieres and absolutely. Yeah. Watching it in a whole theater with native people sounds really fun. <laughs> well, you know, you brought up Tom Ferris and I have to say, um, just as a witness and being engaged with um, seeing everything that you and Tom worked so hard to do together at First Americans Museum with your team at the museum store. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier, not everyone has access to premier Native art. And through the you know, First Americans Museum store, you could really go in and access some of these books and artwork and just really cool, um, just you know, so much that you really wouldn't know existed, even makeup, native makeup and jewelry, and especially of uh, your jewelry, which <laughs> I love <Thank> too, <laughs> as well. Um, yeah. Can you, t- I know that, you know, you and Tom being artists, but the relationships you have again, I just, um, I know that uh, you all have done so much together and are doing more. And I know you're getting ready for Indian market too. Yeah. Yeah. So, so my position at FAM, I was hired on to be the assistant manager in the store and then do all the social media um, and run the website for the store. So that was really fun. And I also, um, again, kind of like how I said, I really love being able to support Roy with his new book. That's basically what I got to do every day at FAM. I got to like champion for all of, inevitably they become your friends. I've, you know, exhibited and, you know, shows and markets with all of these people for years and years. 
And um, kind of like the goal and like one of the heart missions of like Jim even, which is the CEO of AMP, like they really wanted artists to have a place here in Oklahoma that you didn't necessarily have to go to Santa Fe and do a Santa Fe Indian market. Um, it's, it's a lot of money to do that. I did last year was my first year as an Indian market artist. I have to say you also won your category I too. Did. Yeah. So in printmaking, I got first place. Um, I did a really cool relief print of some of our mound builder iconography, um, and that's tribes in the southeast where we had our mounds as part of our tribal culture there. And so some of those pieces we have, some of our ancestral pieces out of out of those mounds that we've been able to retain and rematriate and have those items uh, we can see for ourselves. I've seen some of those objects now in person and to create uh, new work with those same designs that our ancestors made. It's just such... I love that you said rematriate. I yeah. love that. <laughs> when we were getting those back and like museums and universities are finally giving us... Uh, sending our ancestors home, letting us put them to rest and um, just be with our family and have our ancestors back in their homelands where they're supposed to be. And um, so all of those things kind of went into the piece I was making for Indian Market. So and was, awesome. Yeah. And so I get to share that. And that was really cool to me to see a Southeastern design win in a very heavily Southwestern right. style. Yeah. So very Navajo Pueblo. I'm not meaning anything negative towards it. It's just Santa Fe Indian Market is, it's hell in New Mexico. So of course you're going to have the Southwest. That's that heritage there. Yeah. yeah. So I was really proud of, I guess, the jurors and proud of the or SWI organization that, you know, they selected a piece that was. Southeastern, so that was really cool, and um, it's so fun to be in Santa Fe. And kind of when working in the job I do, I'm pretty much like working all the time. Even if I'm doing my own art, I'm still <laughs> like representing my company wherever I work, whether it was fam or Native Realities, because people know what you do on the side. I'm very extroverted. <laughs> I'm very social. That's why the community engagement works so well for me. I know. <laughs> yeah. So I'll be going back to that. So this year, instead of doing any market, I decided to only do Sovereign, which it'll be inside La Fonda Hotel. I've done it since they started. This is, I think, our third year for Sovereign now. Um, so I'll have large pieces for that. I'm painting on on a stretched canvas, which I've never done before. And just so we can make bigger pieces. And then I'm sending that um, to Greg. He's He owns uh, the Fahrenheit Gallery, which does the Sovereign Show. Um, he's going to stretch those for me just so I can make bigger pieces. And it's not so expensive to like ship like finished pieces. So that'll be like really fun. And he's holding a couple other shows. And two of them are coming from Oklahoma. Um, so... One is Collective Wisdom, which is curated by Billy Hensley. That'll be shown at the Sovereign Show. And then a new curator that we have coming. She's on her second show now, uh, Carly Treese, Muskogee woman out in the Tulsa area. And she's taking her new show up there. So both of those shows will also be um, in the same um, space as where I'm exhibiting as one of the featured artists. I'm just so thankful that uh, Greg has allowed me, you know, invited me back, you know, for the third year and I'll get to have my jewelry. I kind of wanted to do that a little bit more than Indian Market this year, just because the the materials I use are not allowed. Acrylic, the way I do my earrings are not allowed in Indian Market, but they are. I can use them. I can sell them in Sovereign. And Thank goodness. <laughs> and it's air conditioned so you guys can come inside and see me and not have to be sweaty outside. <laughs> so I love wearing your jewelry. I love seeing your artwork. You know, I have such pride, um, you know, being an Oklahoma native woman. Um, I have so much pride 
going out and seeing, you know, to Indian Market and walking around the booth and seeing such representation from Oklahoma Native artists. Um, and I really love when I see our Chata people being represented, um, you know, by artists like you and love what you're doing. And I just, did you always know that you wanted to um, be an artist and do the work that you're doing now? I know that you were, um, you know, driven to be an educator and um, your daughter, she's an artist as well. Did you start at a very young age yourself? Yeah. So I was really lucky in the sense of my grandfather, James Horn Hoover, he was a wood carver, but he was also a carpenter. So I got to watch him like build buildings, build barns, build things. And then also on the flip, he could also make beautiful sculptures, small pieces, big pieces. Um, I can remember watching him like carve cardinals, carve different birds. And like, I remember watching him use a wood burner to put like the feather textures on things. And um, he passed away when I was, I think I was about eight or nine. Um, but I can always, I always tell people my very first art market, I was a month old. <laughs> my mom was a seamstress. So my mom, beautiful, she could sew like anything. So she always often shared like a booth space with my grandfather my grandparents. And so I went to October, I was born in September. And then I went to Tulsa Oktoberfest when I was a month old. And my mom would always like dress me up in all my little the outfits that she would be selling. And so I love like, I mean, I don't remember that all because I was a month old. So I just always grew up going to Mayfest, Oktoberfest, the State Fair, Tulsa State Fair. Um, my dad's sisters, they're all like painters. One of my aunt, not well, actually, two of them like still paint to this day. Um, so oh, my dad was also an architectural draftsman. So my dad worked, um, for Sun Oil at one part when I was a kid. And so we had, you know, those giant, um, blueprints right. when, when architecture was done by hand before AutoCAD in like the eighties. And so sometimes I would get those and I could draw on the back of them. So cool. I would love to see those now, your little drawings. Oh, I, <laughs> there, we don't have those anymore, but, um, <laughs> but I remember like always seeing my dad's models, but I could get it. I remember getting in his like drafting table drawers cause he had the coolest pencils, <laughs> like oh, all the leads. Awesome. So I did it. And so to, I never thought of it as a career though, like not because it was ever right. discouraged. Um, so when I was finishing high school, I actually had a music scholarship for Oklahoma State. Um, and I'll be honest, I, I met a boy <laughs> my senior year of high school. Um, so many stories uh, involve journeys like yes, that. <laughs> and so we later got married and then like that's where my daughter <laughs> came from. Um, but I ended up staying in the Tulsa area. And so um, where I started at college didn't have the program I was wanting to do music. So I was like, well, you know, I was like drawing. I didn't really focus on art in high school at all. I was always focusing on my music education career. I wanted to be a band director. Um, and so I was like, well, I like this. It was fun. I enjoyed drawing. And so I was like, well, let's like, I took I think it was um, a watercolor class with Harriet Derivere. I remember that. Um, at Tulsa Community College. I did. I started at community college, uh, which was great because then I wouldn't have student loan debt <laughs> from that. But um, so I did that and I just fell in love. Right. And I was also coming into um, by the end of high school, I was really like I could emotionally I really wanted to know about my culture. And I didn't, mm. um, you know, after the Indian removal and like my mom, like, and her siblings, they were not taught Choctaw, even though my grandfather was a speaker, my Papa Jack. Um, so, you know, a lot of parents chose not to teach their children so that they wouldn't be hurt or 
you know, all kinds of reasons, all kinds of reasons. Um, and so I wasn't raised with my language. So when I started college, um, I just kind of used my art in a way. It became my vehicle for learning like my culture. Um, yeah. So like, like cultural, like revitalization, I always say it was my cultural reclamation. That's how I feel like I fully came into who I was. Um, and then I realized too, once I started studying like uh, all those mound builder designs, I realized everything I'd been sketching and doodling my whole life, like during, like when teachers were talking, it was those same designs. Yeah. Like it was such a, um, like my, it, it really like was mind blowing to me. Even I was using designs. I didn't even realize or like Choctaw or South ancestors were speaking. Yeah. Through. And that just became like my focus. So my very first body of work I ever made, um, it was all about that. Like me learning who I was as a Choctaw woman. Um, I even uh, were, I was going through like gender issues. I always had gender identity issues my whole childhood. Um, and then once I learned my culture, I kind of realized I really wasn't having gender so much issues. I was having cultural norms. I was having, right. yeah, I realized, you know, once I learned, I was like, well, a Choctaw woman would have those masculine attributes. We had to be very hardy to survive right. genocide. Um so then I kind of realized if I'm in a like an indigenous setting with all native people, you know, I'm totally like 100 percent. I feel like, yeah, I'm a Choctaw woman. But if I'm in a non-native setting, like which happens because I'm an artist, sometimes in, in a totally non-native gallery, just regular galleries, everybody in there is non-native. That's when I start feeling those um, like I go back into that non-binary like realm because in that sense, in like mainstream, I, I still don't I don't fit into those female gender norms, which is fine. Um, so I just go non-binary in those no, places. I, I relate to that. I, I appreciate that. You know, I yeah. really do. So I kind of and I also um, in my, you know, through all of that, I also, you know, came out I came out, you know, bisexual and um a lot of things happened as I was learning my culture. It was really um, obviously life-changing for me. And um, today, now my daughter's seven, she knows more Choctaw than I did until I was like in my late 20s. She's a force. <laughs> Talk about I wow. Yes, yes. So Jewel Shooting Star, she is... Um, I Like she's not one of those kids that people say has an old soul. Um, I kind of figured it out one day when I was talking to another mom that was just saying um, she went on like a field trip with Jewel like she and I couldn't go I was working but her daughter um, was like basically covering her ears it was really loud in the space they were in and Jewel was telling her it's okay I'm the same too sometimes when it's really loud it hurts my ears too and that parent was just like so shocked because she was only six at the time that you know a child could understand that so I've always kind of realized that it's like an Jewel has a really high emotional intelligence like she can tell if something's wrong with me. She can tell like if I I need a hug or, and I don't know where that came special. from. Yeah, just that comes out of her. I don't know. Maybe it came from my mom. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know that identity. Our identity is so connected to that 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 cult to our culture, 
And I think it's so interesting. And I know that Jewel learned so much from you. And you know, we were talking about, you know, our people, our Choctaw people. I love being at our Choctaw Cultural Center and even in our beautiful casino and resort and seeing your awesome work. I mean, large pieces, very vibrant pieces. And I mean, you you create like beautiful work from, you know, small earrings to big, beautiful ear to all different types of work and um, your print making and your uh, your painting and just seeing such diverse work from you. And um, I know that your commissions are just so great. I love seeing your fingerprints in special places <laughs> that um, are, are, are special to me. Yeah, yeah. So uh, my first big commission piece was with the... Starbucks. <laughs> um, I was like, I remember when they first sent me the very first email. They're like, "We know this doesn't sound real." <laughs> um, so for I'm a I'm in the registry, the Choctaw registry, as an artist, and then um, here in Oklahoma with the Oklahoma Arts Council, and you look at like arts and public places, all those programs, and there's like one percent for the arts. So when new things are built, at least one percent has to go to the arts, and so when. Uh, the Choctaw Nation was building and adding on to the tribal casino and Clara um, Starbucks was looking for a floral painter and Choctaw Nation required them to pick a Choctaw artist. I love it. <laughs> so, I mean, that that's what I am. I'm a floral painter. Um, and I like to kind of go back a little bit more about the floral painter part. Um, so a lot of that comes from like food sovereignty and gardening. So even though I didn't grow up in like a really traditional Choctaw way, um, I grew up gardening and with my parents, grandparents, siblings, nieces and nephews, um, and just learning how to work with the earth and like make food, even though I didn't make it, the food, the earth makes it, but you know, we cultivate that. Um, and then I realized um, when all these tribes started doing like their seed, right, uh, seed sovereignty programs, um, my daughter's dad is Cherokee. So we were able to get stuff from, get seeds from the Cherokee Seed Library, Choctaw Nation. And then I would trade with other people in other tribes. And I was so excited when my tribe came out um, with Isito, that is a squash and Choctaw. So that was my first like ancestral seed I ever got. And I grew those. They're really delicious. It's like a giant, it has like the texture of sweet potato, but it's inside the squash. And they are like bigger than footballs. They're really big. They have a very long shelf life. Um, so I grew that. And then I kind of realized uh, while teaching my daughter how to do it and plant the seeds and we water it and like garden and all that. She I kind of realized that, you know, my ancestors a long time ago in like Mississippi in the eastern part of the U.S., our ancestors on purpose saved those seeds through Indian removal, through that trail of tears, through the walk. Um, and there was all been different kinds of ways, different People like transported those seeds. Some of it sewed it into the hems of their clothing. Some of them braided it into their hair because they didn't know what kind of food was going to be there when they got to Oklahoma or at the time Indian Territory. Um, and obviously today we know what kind of food <laughs> and we know the growing regions and we know all the different tribes that were nomadic and hunted buffalo, we know those tribes were put next to us and were not allowed to hunt. So we were in places where we didn't know how to grow things necessarily in the soil. On um, Some of our gender norms were different for who did the gardening, for who grew. Um, so we had all those kinds of issues. So we ended up on purpose in like starvation mode and like because we couldn't like procure food in like 
any of the tribes in that area. And then so they gave us like the least they could do basically to keep us alive, you know. Um, so we kind of call like fry bread today like our survival food because that was like all was, we had. Out of our rations. Yeah. Um, and so all of that going in and then realizing I have seeds that I can grow. And my daughter literally, like literally fed my daughter with food that my ancestors went through all of that to save for me. It's just... That's just, to me that I don't even, again, I don't have words to how to describe that. And so <laughs> all that went into my piece for the Choctaw Cultural Center. Um, they, it was funny. They kind of came to me and they gave me this like little speech about the Choctaw squash, not knowing I'd ever grown it, like knew nothing about that. They just knew of me as a floral painter. They had seen my paintings um, I had done with like Indian blanket flowers and they like the flowers. So I was like, okay. So in the cultural center, um, I'm my piece is kind of by the restaurant. Um, and then they actually ended up putting my piece inside the, the chief and tribal council's formal dining room. Um, so, beautiful. so that piece gets to like, you know, be there while everybody's eating. Um, and that piece is all about like squash. So it's our squash blossoms, like um, kind of rotating and like going in motion from top to bottom, almost like they're falling down from the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of funny when they got finished with their little speech telling me about it. And I remember like sending them photos. <laughs> I showed them. I was like, I actually grow that squash. And yeah, and so they had all this like great like pictures of like Jewel and I in the garden and then finished. And then I got to I, I remember like standing next to the painting because it's nine and a half feet tall. It's really tall. It's a place making piece. <laughs> I have pictures with it and other when I see it, I know where that is. Yeah. <laughs> nobody realized how big it was until like it was hung and I stand up next to it and I like bear it barely like half the upper half of my body and then the rest of the painting is so tall <laughs> it's giant mm-hmm. um it was so big I had to paint it sideways though in my garage and I can remember because it took like, a couple months to paint I remember my daughter would come out and she would like I you know I had to take time away from her to do that and I remember her she'd be like are you painting again? <laughs> Which I was, but now she's like so excited to like go see those things. And I know that one day when I'm no longer alive, my descendants can always go see that piece. Thankfully. And that, um, that makes me almost cry because, you know, I've made something that's in a sense immortal as long as they preserve it and want it to be there. And, um, like, that's crazy to think there'll be people that I'll never meet that get to go see that. And hopefully um, they get to hear the story and hopefully they get to eat like the squash. Hopefully Jewel will garden and then her kids if she has them and um, just that that keeps going. So when they go see that painting, they'll know why that painting was so important to me and why it's so important to talk to people. It is our survival. It is our sovereignty. It is our ancestors. It's our living ancestors. And um, so and it's really cool that when the chief is having those meetings and dinners and um, as relationships. Yeah. I mean, and that's symbolic, I think, because of who you are and um, and what you do. And that's about building relationships. Yeah, yeah. And like the directions of where my tribe or our tribe, our tribe is going, you know, and that piece will be right there. I was like, that piece is going to hear so many crazy things. And if that piece could talk, <laughs> that, that's a public program. We could do. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's just crazy to me. Um, I'm just so honored that I was asked to do that. And then when they had like the year anniversary for 
um, the Choctaw Culture Center, they invited me back. I got to do live paintings. Hopefully I'll get to go back every yes. year. Always great to see that, to see you um, paint. And, you know, speaking about you know, planting those seeds, uh, you know, uh, these little ones around us and, you know, all people, um, they're getting into, like we talk about DJ and artwork and acting and reading books and following comics and um, collecting art because of awareness. And I really think that symbolism of planting the seeds, you literally do, but you plant the seeds and creating that awareness that really connects people and inspires them and builds confidence in them to create and to to do more. And, you know, this podcast, Timber People, it, you know, I, people like timber do create, they build and they connect, you know, like that fuel that feeds fire that brings us together. And so I, I really appreciate, um, appreciate that. And um, I want to dedicate this episode to our beloved friend. And I know your dear mentor, Benjamin Harjo Jr., who, you know, seminal absentee Shawnee, world renowned artist, um, the the Picasso of American Indian art, and um, I know we will be honoring his life, him and his um, his just beautiful life, and um, later, and um, I just really want to dedicate this episode um, to him. Yeah, I did mean to get to a point to actually talk about like when you asked if I knew that was going to be my career to be an artist. Um, when I fin- like did my BFA show, my first body of work, Ben was actually there when like I got to, def- it's not really defending a thesis as much for your BFA, but um, he came to that for me. They still call it that like my, and like I have pictures of Ben at that and like he was just <laughs> like, like you said, has been my mentor for decades now. And I used to go see him at Indian Market and him at Cherokee Art Market. Like I would go to his shows and and he would always be like, why aren't you here? Your art needs to be here. You need to do this. And I just, at the time, I didn't have the confidence in my art to like do that. I didn't think I was a good enough artist, but Ben kept thinking, Ben thought I was. Um, So finally, so my first market I did was actually Cherokee Art Market. Um, and I did it as in a group booth with the Southeastern Indian Indian Artists Association. And I remember when I told Ben, he was just like so excited um, that I finally did it. And then for years, he kept trying to get me to do Indian market. And I was like, no, I won't get in. I won't get in. And then my first year. And so last year at Indian market was the first time. Because I had a thing about, I always called it Ben Hugs every year. Because um, I lived in Albuquerque then. And so all my friends would come from Oklahoma to Indy Market. So I'd go see them, like Bobby and Tony and Shan, Lily Shan and Ben, of course. And I would just hang out in Ben's booth for hours and hours and sit and like chat with Sally Ann. And, um, and then finally, uh, this past year, Ben got to come to my booth <laughs> for the very first time. Um, because Ben was also a printmaker. A lot of times he's just seen as a painter. Mm-hmm. Um, so we work in the same realm. And I always have a little funny story about Ben. Um, I, When I was working at FAM, I sold his work in the store. And then one time, he's probably dropping off stuff to sell. And I was asking him, like, why haven't we collaborated? Why have we never made art together? And he thought about it. And I can, like, hear his voice right now in my head. And Ben's laugh, like, little chuckles. <laughs> and he said, okay. We can collaborate. He was like very like serious about it. And it was kind of now looking back, I should have known he was joking, but he was serious and he looks at me and he goes, 
Okay. You can paint all my backgrounds from now on. And then I look at him and as I've been selling his work. So, and I've known his work for decades. And I was like, you don't have a background. <laughs> He's like, exactly. He's like, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't mess those up. But, you know? I'm like, it's white paper, man. <laughs> so I told him though, I was like, okay, then I'm going to sign my name on everything you make after that. <laughs> so, so, um, that was his little way to, I don't know. He made me laugh and I'll always remember that. And, um, I mean, he, he recently passed away just a couple of weeks ago. So, um, and his last exhibition is up and that's where his memorial service will be at tonight. Oklahoma contemporary. Um, I got to watch that whole show be hung. And I remember like texting him. Um, I got invited to be a different part of that show, not to work with Ben. I got, um, hired to paint for another elder. Um, she's a potter and they wanted to translate her pottery into a, a 2d wall mural. She's a little bit older. And probably wouldn't want to be up on the lifts and climbing on ladders and things. So they let Jerry, they gave her a list of artists and they let her select. And when the curator came to me, Pablo, he's like, you know, you're my first choice, but you know, it'll be up to Jerry. And I remember like he read her my name and that was who she picked. So I got to paint a mural for Jerry. So I remember like I told Ben that and talking to him about it. And um, he's like, well, that's good. He's like, and I told him, I was like, I get to paint her foreground. <laughs> yeah. So that was really good. And um, and then the last time I actually got to talk to Ben, he had been at Arte- the Artesian Market in Sulphur for uh, Chickasaw Nation. I knew he, did, he had fallen in the shower. And so I was calling to check on him because I didn't know if, like, he had gotten stitches. Um I didn't know any of those things. And so like I called, he didn't answer, but then he called me back and um, he was saying he broke the tile, but he didn't like bust open his head. And so Ben's head was so hard. <laughs> and then, so that was the last like phone conversation I had with it. After the, that, it was like a few texts. And then, then obviously his health really declined after like, just, I think he was gone just a couple of weeks after that. And I'm just so thankful, like, I got to have that conversation with him and so thankful for all the, like, I get, like so many different things he encouraged me to do and th- discouraged. Like, he was honest about, like, shows not to do. I even didn't listen to him one time and I tried to do a show. He told me not to do it anyway. And it ended up a disaster. I ended up not doing it. And, and of course, he being Ben, he, he definitely said, I told you so. <laughs> so I should have listened. <laughs> we have so many great memories of of memories um, of Ben, and you talk about Indian Market, just being out there with Ben and Barbara, and you know his smile, his laughter, his artwork lit up the world, and you know has have inspired so many people, and um, just so appreciative of his friendship. And I'm, I appreciate your friendship, my Choctaw sister, um, Kristen Gentry. Uh, do you want to share your website for the listeners? Sure. It's creativenative.com and creative is with a K because um, my first name is Kristen and it's the same for Instagram. It's creative native. I try to do that for everything. <laughs> um, so if you ever purchase from me in person, if you ask me my Venmo, it's creative native. <laughs> I made that years ago just to kind of be like, funny like I thought it was a cute like little rhyming name and then it kind of just became my brand and um so I just use that now and go on there and purchase um Philbrook, Gilcrease, Bam, 
DNA galleries. I'm going to be added at Catter Nation. They have a new gift shop they just purchased. Um, so I'll be selling there. And then I have, I'm represented at one gallery in Santa Fe now, which is really amazing. It's really exciting for me. Um, it's called Form and Concept, the Zane Bennett group. Um, and I'm planning to do a one day uh, show exhibition um, and have an opening during Indian Market. I think we're looking at Friday night of Indian Market. So people can come see my paintings there too. So I kind of have two things going on. And I sell at that gallery year round and I sell my jewelry there in Santa Fe. And um, I'm just, just blown away at all the opportunities um, that, uh, you know, that I've been brought into and um, just a it's a, it's humbling. And then it's, um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of the words. It's, it's very emotional for me. It's, you get the imposter syndrome. Like I shouldn't have these opportunities or like that. Um, I don't deserve these things and that's really hard. And I know a lot of artists deal with that. That's very common. Um, but I must, I keep getting them. I think that that, (laughs) that's not, um, you know, I know that's real and, I appreciate you saying that. And I understand like so many people do. I think some of that as Native people is connected to historic trauma, too. Um, But I'm so grateful for the for what all you are doing and Native realities. People can learn about Native realities from um, what is their website? Yeah. So it's the Native realities dot com or you can go to ATCG Media um, and that. I'll have an interview up real soon. I'm interviewing Sterling Harjo um, now that he's done filming for season three. And then so the ATCG is where you can go buy like our books and comic books and games and all kinds of stuff on there. The Native Realities is more like the outreach and the community events. Um, so you can go to either of those and our socials are the same. And um, we do have an indigipopx.com website if you just want to look at the convention, if you want to see... Um, like what we're going to be doing for the convention next year, who's coming, what celebs you want to meet, what panels you want to go to. And feel free, please email me, Kristen.gentry at nativerealities.com if there's someone you want to see. And I will try my best to, <laughs> to get them and work with their managers. And um, you can either professionally or my emails, my personals, Gentry at hotmail.com. Everything is pretty easy. Oh, <laughs> uh, thank you. And um, I also want to say I would love to have you back on the show to uh, other updates. I know you're doing so much. And so thank you so much for being on the show. Yakuki. Yakuki. Thank you. Yakoki, thank you for joining us. Timber People is brought to you by the Possibilities Podcast Platform. <laughs>